You're listening to the Evanston Bible Fellowship Podcast. EBF is a community of sojourners empowering one another to cultivate gospel transformation. To learn more about our church, visit ebfchurch.org. Today's scripture reading is taken from Mark chapter 11, verse 1 to verse 11. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethsage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing, untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus, and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, EBF family. Hey, a special thanks to Bradley for leading us in worship and song, and to Nancy for doing our scripture reading. Today, as you know, is Palm Sunday, which marks the beginning of Holy Week. We're going to be taking a short break from our series in Ephesians to explore the triumphal entry, the crucifixion, and resurrection of Jesus, all from the Gospel of Mark, as we look to He who is our King of Kings. In Mark's Gospel, chapters 11 through 16 all take place in Jerusalem during the last seven days of Jesus' life. That's one-third of Mark's Gospel. And it just shows how important this final week is for understanding who Jesus is and what He came to do. In this time of fear and uncertainty surrounding the pandemic, rise in violence against our Asian and Asian American sisters and brothers, and mass shootings like the one we saw this week in Boulder, Colorado, we are reminded of how much we need Jesus, how much our community needs Jesus, how much this broken world needs Jesus. And even the depth of disappointment in not being able to gather together for worship pales in comparison to the unfathomable unfathomable suffering of the cross. We look forward to the joy of being able to gather once more, but even that pales in comparison to the unceasing joy of the resurrection. My prayer is that during this week, we would all remember in a heightened way, perhaps more than ever before, all that Jesus endured for us, and that all of these truths would be more real, more vivid, and more sealed upon our hearts than ever before. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we come to you this morning in the midst of our fears and disappointments, mourning the rise in violence toward our Asian and Asian American sisters and brothers, 
and grieving the lives lost in Boulder, Colorado, and yet another mass shooting. Lord, we recognize deep down inside that this is not the way that it's supposed to be. We cry out to you for your presence, for your peace, Lord, and for your justice. We pray that you would be so real to the families of the victims, the family and the department of the slain police officer, and all communities, Lord, that are grappling with violence in their midst. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy. We praise you, King of kings and Lord of lords, and ask that you would help us to remember in a heightened way all that you went through for us. Would you speak to us today, Lord, as we come to receive the food of your holy word? Take the truths that we discover, Lord, seal them even more deeply within our hearts, and would you form and fashion us more in the image of Christ in the process? We pray that the light of Christ would be seen in our lives through tangible acts of love and of faith, and would you get all the glory? It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. June 2nd, 1953, the coronation of Queen Elizabeth II. It took 16 months to prepare. The event itself included a procession with foreign royalty and heads of state, 8,000 guests, and an elaborate ceremony that culminated in the coronation oath itself. Millions watched the world's first major international event to be broadcast on TV. It was a breathtaking spectacle. What a contrast to the triumphal entry of Jesus that we find in Mark 11, verses 1 through 11. The Romans were used to huge processions in Rome following major victories, major military conquests. This involved chariots and war horses, symbols of conquest and power. But something was different about this scene outside Jerusalem. See, your king is coming. In our time together this morning, we're going to explore the story of the triumphal entry in these three scenes here in Mark 11, 1 through 11. Then arrive at the bottom line of this passage and then be challenged with a few takeaways to consider. So let's dive in together beginning with the first scene, the king's preparation. The king's preparation in verses 1 through 6. At this point in Mark's gospel, Jesus is at the end of a long journey where he purposefully set out for Jerusalem. He set his face toward Jerusalem and then sort of zigzagging his way through Galilee, Samaria, and Judea. He ministered in at least 35 different locations and timed the journey perfectly so that he would end up in Jerusalem at just the right time. This reminds me of my days on the campus of Bradley University and how I would time my walk between classes perfectly so that I would just so happen to walk into, bump into the girl who would later become my wife. But Jesus timed everything so that he would be in Jerusalem for the Passover. Passover is a Jewish feast that commemorates the liberation of God's people from slavery in Egypt. And so expectations were running high. John 11 reveals how Jesus 
had earlier raised his friend Lazarus from the dead and word spread quickly, especially among the thousands of pilgrims who were streaming into Jerusalem at this time of year for the Passover. If Jesus would make an appearance is something that they were all wondering about. Would he be there? What would the authorities do if he was there? And in the midst of all this, it is clear that Jesus makes deliberate preparation for what is about to take place. So let's pick up the story there in verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. The first six verses here highlight King Jesus' deliberate preparation for what is about to take place. Jesus had just come from Jericho where he had healed a blind man named Bartimaeus. And there was a large crowd that witnessed this miracle and then saw Bartimaeus join in the procession, making its way to Jerusalem. Mark doesn't often mention place names, but here he highlights the Mount of Olives in verse 1. On the east side of Jerusalem, the Mount of Olives runs north to south and rises about 300 feet higher than the city. It was a geographical feature that kind of reminds me of Lake Michigan here to the east. I'm still getting used to any, any form of directions that say something like, head toward the lake when I can't see the lake, but I'm still getting my bearing. In the Old Testament, though, the Mount of Olives was a place where God was worshipped. It was also a place that the prophets associated with the coming of the Messiah. Messiah meaning means anointed one. And so Jesus gives two of his disciples here specific instructions to find a colt that no one had ever ridden on, untie it, and bring it back. And if anyone objects, they are to say, the Lord has need of it. So sure enough, the disciples find everything exactly as Jesus said. They even get to use the password that Jesus gave them. And while it may be unclear whether Jesus supernaturally knew about this or whether he had made preparations ahead of time, what is clear is that Jesus is carefully planning this out. And what he says is exactly what happens. Several of the details, though, in the story heighten what we might call messianic expectations, expectations surrounding Israel's promised Messiah. The prophet Zechariah identifies the importance of a cult for the Messiah when in Zechariah 9 verse 9 says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion! Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. 
Matthew's gospel and John's gospel also specifically reference this text along the way. And also the fact that the colt is tied up echoes the promise of a descendant from Judah that would reign forever. Genesis 49 verses 10 through 11 says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples, binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. A couple other details worth pointing out is that a king in ancient times could ask that someone let him use their animal, much like Jesus does here. And what's more, animals that hadn't been ridden were considered sacred and would be a fitting way to transport a king. All of these details show that Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. So let's turn to the second scene, the king's procession in verses 7 through 10. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. What an amazing scene that plays out here. Thousands of people join in the king's procession. But what a powerful image too. The the creator of the universe stooping to ride on a lowly donkey. Jesus is indeed the promised one, but he comes not on a giant war horse in conquest, but on a lowly donkey in humility. Many people even spread their cloaks on the road while others spread branches. This is why we call today Palm Sunday. Today we might use the expression, you know, we might say something like rolling out the red carpet for someone. I was reminded of how United Airlines used to have a literal red carpet that they would place in the line uh, where the first class passengers would walk to get onto the plane. And I just remember watching how people would go out of their way, even though there are these two lines right next to one another, only separated by, you know, those, those ropes. People would go out of their way, especially if they're first class, they would go out of their way to walk on the red carpet to get onto the plane. But I digress. Anyway, It's like those garments and those branches formed a red carpet for Jesus as he made his way down the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem. And these elements, too, have a royal background. We see this in the Old Testament when Jehu was anointed as king of Israel. In 2 Kings 9, verse 13, it says this, Then in haste every man of them took his garment and put it under him on the bare steps. And they blew the trumpet and proclaimed, Jehu is king. Palm branches became a sort of national symbol for the Jewish people. They were used to celebrate military victories and were a sign of honor. People waved them like we might wave flags today, while others placed them on the ground before Jesus. And to add to this, the sound would have been deafening as people shouted, in an antiphonal way, back and forth, Hosanna, Hosanna, 
Hosanna is a Hebrew expression that means save, Lord save. And it became a general expression of praise, much like we would use hail to the king. This introduction is followed by the words of Psalm 118, words that we we saw earlier today. Save us, we pray, O Lord. Save us. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. That's in verses 25 and 26. This psalm, Psalm 118, is among Psalms 113 through 118, which were commonly sung during the Passover. And so these are the songs that would have been on the tip of everyone's tongue, even as they streamed and flooded into Jerusalem. Hopes were often raised during this time of year for the restoration of David's kingdom in all of its glory. In John's gospel, we learn that the disciples did not fully grasp what was happening. Only after Jesus died and rose again was the Spirit, did the Spirit help them to put everything together. What's more, the, what they shouted about, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, they proclaimed him as the promised Davidic king. But even here, it was as if they were using this in a political and a military sense, hoping that Jesus would use his amazing power to lead the Jews to independence, to free them from the shackles of Rome. Jesus did preach the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of our father David. And this perhaps highlights their confusion about who Jesus is and what he came to do. But honestly, similar to the high priest Caiaphas, It's as if the people here speak more than they know. Jesus is indeed the King of the Jews, as we'll see play out in the Passion narrative. But even more than that, He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. The palm branches and the shouts all combine to show that the people viewed Jesus as the promised messianic king who would deliver them from the shackles of Rome. And it's as if they're ready to crown him on the spot right there. But Jesus isn't carrying a sword or wearing a crown. He isn't riding in a chariot like a king. Picture in the movie Gladiator, picture Commodus entering Rome or the triumph of Quintus Arius in the movie Ben-Hur with the the beating of the drums, the legions of soldiers in perfect formation, the the shouts of adoration from the crowd, and the, the lengthy procession of chariots and war horses. The scene that we have here during the triumphal entry would have made a Roman laugh when compared to the glorious victory processions in Rome. But something surprising happens at this point in the story. Let's look briefly at the third scene, that is the king's entrance in verse 11. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. The stage is set. Everything has been moving to this point. But ironically, 
nothing happens. The huge crowd seems to vanish. It, it seems almost anticlimactic. He is not, Jesus is not welcomed into Jerusalem like the pilgrims from Galilee welcomed him. There is no one there to greet him. There is no one lined up to receive him. There, is no, there are no flowers or laurels placed upon him as he enters the temple. Jesus is simply ignored. He takes everything in, knowing what is about to take place, knowing what he was sent to do. He takes everything in, and then he heads back to Bethany. Oh, church, Jesus is indeed the promised Messiah. Yes, he is the King of Israel, but Scripture also reminds us that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He was sent by the Father not to help the Jews overthrow the tyranny of Rome, but to bring about peace with God through his humble suffering, through his death and his glorious resurrection. These realities call us to trust in Christ alone and to welcome him into our lives with the true realization of who he is and the true realization of what he has done. This passage is a warning against the fickle nature of the crowd that quickly seems to quickly fade away. It kind of reminds us of one of the seeds in the parable of the sower, that which springs up but then fades away. It is also an indictment against those then who did not welcome Jesus into the temple. Here's the bottom line. May we be a people who welcome the humble king into our lives and crown him Lord of all. May we welcome him, welcome the humble king into our lives and crown him Lord of all. As we reflect on welcoming Jesus as our humble king and crowning him Lord of all, here are just three simple questions to grapple with. Perhaps not so simple. Do you know the real Jesus? Remember the story here. The crowds misunderstood Jesus' true identity. They saw him as a political liberator who would throw off the shackles of Rome. And this was reflected in the waving of palm branches and, and hailing him as king. But the disciples also misunderstood Jesus' true identity. It wasn't until after he was glorified that the Holy Spirit revealed the true meaning of Zechariah 9.9 to them. Jesus came humbly. Jesus came humbly on a donkey to bring about peace. We too are in danger of misunderstanding Jesus or perhaps making him to be something that he is not. What are some of the ways that people do this today? One form might be a good moral teacher, Jesus. Some pick and choose his good moral teachings but don't want to think about his difficult words surrounding judgment and hell. They love his kind words, but ignore how seriously he takes sin. Or how about rugged masculinity Jesus? Some paint Jesus as a spiritual tough guy, elevating how he called people out, turned over the tables, worked as a carpenter, and toughed it out in the wilderness. Or how about blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus? This depiction of Jesus was made popular by the painting 
Head of Christ by Warner E. Salman, who was from Chicago. It has been reproduced nearly a billion times and was even carried by U.S. service members during World War II. Or how about Christian nationalist Jesus? We are seeing this especially now among those who see Jesus as a fierce warrior who will cleanse the earth of unrighteousness and use the United States as his vehicle to usher in his kingdom. Jesus as the Savior of America. These are just a few examples of severe misunderstandings of of who Jesus is today. And we need to ask ourselves whether he is a king of our own making or whether he is truly the King of kings and Lord of lords. We need to ask, will we take him at his word? Luke's account actually goes or adds that while the people herald Jesus as king, he actually wept for them. It would have been a shocking juxtaposition. While they heralded him as king, he wept for them, knowing that they didn't get it. He also saw what lay ahead for his people. War, suffering, destruction, and scattering. Is Jesus weeping right now because of your misunderstanding of him? Is he weeping because he knows you are headed to your own destruction? Is he weeping because of your lack of repentance? Is he weeping because you have not truly come to know who he really is? Second question for us to grapple with, will you welcome Jesus as king? The gospel is the good news that God created us to be with him. He made us uniquely in his image to enjoy perfect fellowship with him. But we chose to rebel against our creator and use the breath that he had so graciously given us to curse him, to say we know better. And sin has come to affect and infect every part of our lives and every part of this world. But God did not leave us to our own devices. He purposed to send his one and only son, Jesus, to experience humanity and to suffer and die and rise again so that we could be rescued from sin and radically reunited with the Father. He came to bring peace, peace both with God and peace with one another. We are called to receive Jesus Christ by repenting of sin and by believing in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Church, that is the gospel. That is the good news. Trust in Christ alone, the King of kings and Lord of lords. If you have not already, welcome him into your life as the humble king. Third question for us to grapple with is, have you crowned him Lord of all? So often we discover areas of unbelief in our own hearts. Pray that God would root those out. Pray that God would turn us back to Christ. Sometimes there are areas of our lives where he ends up not being welcome. We find ourselves trying to wrestle control of the throne away from him. Would you welcome Christ into every part of you? Have you crowned Jesus Lord over your fear? Have you crowned him Lord over your family? 
Have you crowned him Lord over your health? Have you crowned him Lord over your marriage and relationships? Have you crowned him Lord over your finances or perhaps education? Have you crowned him Lord over your career? Pray, pray that Christ's reign and rule would expand into every part of your life and beyond. And so let us leave with this core truth ringing in our ears and resonating in our hearts. Let us, as we go from here, let us remember this call to welcome the humble king into our lives and to crown him Lord of all. When Jesus entered Jerusalem that day, the Jews could have crowned him as king on the spot. But little did they know that his true enthronement ceremony was about to take place. And this is none other than his crucifixion. As we will see during our Good Friday service this week, I encourage all of us to be there for that. Mark goes to incredibly great lengths to show that it is truly the crucifixion that is his enthronement. The crown of thorns, the royal robe, the sign king of the Jews, the cross for a throne. Praise God that Jesus was indeed crowned, but not in the way that Israel expected. And praise God that the next time we see the king will be a radically different scene. Revelation 19 verse 11, and that whole passage gives us this magnificent vision of he who is coming in full glory on a war horse with the armies of heaven. It will be a scene bigger than Roman glory, bigger than the coronation of Queen Elizabeth, bigger than any Cubs World Series parade. It will be beyond any human comparison as he comes again to deal decisively with evil, to defeat his enemies and fully establish the kingdom of God. We look forward to that day when we will gather to worship the Lamb. And we will wave palm branches and shout his praises. Revelation 7, verses 9 through 10 says, After this I looked, and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Amen, church. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this magnificent scene of Jesus, the humble King, coming into Jerusalem, knowing full well what he was sent to do. Lord Jesus, we thank you that in love you willingly and knowingly went to the cross. You took our sin upon yourself and gave of yourself in love for us. I pray that you would give us a vision of who you really are through your word and that you would melt away any misconceptions of of what we have, and that we would see you for who you really are. 
I pray for anyone listening today who does not know you, that they would run to you in repentance and receive you, O Lord Jesus. And Lord, for those of us that do know you, would we indeed crown you Lord of all? Would you reveal to us any areas in which we are we have not crowned you Lord over or where we have tried to wrestle control away from you? Would we crown you Lord of all with every fiber of our being and in every aspect of our lives, Lord? Tune our hearts to yours this week, Lord, as we remember the life, suffering, death, and resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And help us, not just this week, but beyond, to point others who do not know you to He who is the true source of living hope. We pray this in Christ's name and for your glory. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To hear more messages from EBF, subscribe to our podcast. And to find out how to get connected with our church, visit ebfchurch.org.